0: You can turn to Luke chapter 9, which just so happens to be our campaign verse. And my prayer is this afternoon that we would start the process of preparing our minds for um, what most of us, almost all of us, will be doing next week, spending some focused time seeking after the Lord. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, we'll start reading. Before we do, how many of you, and I would be surprised if there are any of you that do, but maybe, how many of you know, does anybody know what the, the flu game Oh, we have two. The flu game is. The rest of you will get a little bit of an education. Alright, so we're going to go back in the time machine to 1997. That's a long, long time ago. Um, let's see. I would have been um, eighth or ninth grade, something like that at this time. The 1997 NBA Finals, Game Number Five. The Utah Jazz and Chicago Bulls are tied two games apiece. There is a, I think it was a double game in Utah. And so the Chicago Bulls, led by Michael Jordan, for those of you who don't know anything about history, Michael Jordan and Scotty Pippen and Tony Kukoc and Steve Kerr and Luke Longley, and um, uh, those are all the ones I can remember off the top of my head. But anyway, uh, they were in Utah staying over for Game 5, pivotal Game 5. The series is tied, and it's going to go back to Chicago with a chance to, to finish things out. Um, So whoever wins uh, gains a major upper hand. The team is staying over in Utah, the Bulls are, and of course there is some controversy over what exactly happened, but somehow, whether it was through a bad pizza that Michael Jordan ordered and ate completely himself, or some sort of 24-hour flu bug, Michael Jordan got horribly, horribly sick. Um, I was just uh, just trying to refresh my memory a little bit, and so looking if on, you, if you go and Google the flu game, uh, there's all sorts of information you can find, um, but he was so sick, so ill, he could hardly walk, but he was a superstar, really the driving force behind the Chicago Bulls, every time he sat, um, well, as a, as a quasi-Bulls fan, it was terrible. Every time he sat, it was just like, the team seemed to tank. Tent- it wasn't necessarily the case, but just that's the way it seemed. Um, but he could barely walk. He could barely function. But yet he fought through that illness. Um, he didn't do much in the first quarter. Scored 17 points in the second quarter. And in the fourth quarter, uh, he scored seven points on a 10-0 run, 10 nothing run by the Chicago Bulls that basically put them... In the lead, or at least close to the lead, and then his three-pointer in the final half-minute gave the Chicago Bulls a lead that it didn't lose, and that kind of set up a, a famous video. You may have even seen it without even knowing exactly what you were looking at, but Scotty Pippen kind of helping Jordan like a rag doll off the court. But they won the game. They won the game, and then of course that was Game Five. They went on to win Game Six. And uh, they were well on their way to their second three-peat, two uh, sets of three championships all in a row. The blue game has its own lore, and obviously it has its own name. Because we see what Jordan did, and we say, wow, look at how much, how dedicated he was to the cause. Look at how he left everything he had on the court to win the game. And eventually to win the finals, and it adds to the legend of Michael Jordan as being the greatest of all time. All right, and I think he probably was, but that's a little biased. But for you, you guys, that was a long time before you were born. What's the big deal? What was the what was the prize? What was the what was gained from that? They won the game. They won the championship. They were, they, they were, uh, um, uh, finishing the second 3P, or at least working on the second 3P, but you guys weren't alive. So, already the accomplishment has begun to fade. We do respect people who give it their all, and, and they, put every, they put 100% into thing, and we respect them. But what was, what was gained in the end? Was it really all that great? It reminds me, though, this the the respect that we give for someone who gives it their all. It reminds me of what Jesus said, though, here in Luke chapter 9. And unlike giving your all in some sort of sport, unlike giving your all in in some sort of pursuit, um, being the best, being the greatest of all time, the reward for that, while it is, it, you know, in the, in, the, in the moment, it is great, it, it tends to fade. It's as Paul talks about, a corruptible crown. It doesn't really last. The next generation comes on, and they don't know who you are, and they've got superstars of their own, and they can care very little about what was accomplished in the past. It's a corruptible crown. But Jesus says there's a cause that you can live for, That that means far more than that. And it's a cause that that is worthy of you giving 100%. It's worthy of you leaving it all on the court of life. So Jesus in Luke chapter 9, and verse 23, speaking to his disciples, he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory, and in his father's glory and in his father's and of the holy angels. Lord, would you help us in these next few minutes? Help me, Lord, to be able to to speak that which you want me to speak. I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that you would get our minds focused and ready for the opportunity, the privilege that we have this next week of spending some time away and breaking from our normal routines and our normal habits and the things that we we normally do and focusing on you. I pray that you'd help this time to be... um, a special preparation, and that you would ready our hearts to to hear from you over this next week. Bless our few minutes that we have uh, together in Jesus' name, Amen. So Jesus has just finished up here in Luke chapter nine. Uh, we have the feeding of the five thousand in the beginning of the chapter, verse eighteen. Uh, Jesus is talking to the disciples. He asks them, "Who do people say that I am?" And they and they gave the uh, different options, and then who do you say that I am? And Peter of course saying, you're the the Christ, you're the the Son of God, and then immediately on the heels of that, Jesus makes this statement repeated in two of the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and then of course here in Luke, this same basic context, and he describes what it means to be a true disciple. He says, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. There's a couple of things that I see that Jesus says about, and these are my words, obviously, about leaving it all on the court. About putting forth your best effort not to obtain some sort of earthly prize or earthly crown but to receive something that is far greater. Notice how Jesus describes it. He starts in verse 23 with a desire to follow. He says, If any man will come after me. If any man will come after me. There is here described for us a desire to come after Christ, a desire to follow Jesus. And like he says, If any man will come after me. The idea of being a disciple, the idea of being someone who's sold out to God, who God can use, it's not reserved for a special group of people. It's not uh, reserved for people that come from a particular background, uh, people that look a certain way, people that have certain talents and certain skills or certain abilities. It's not reserved to just them. The idea of Giving all for Jesus, this position of being a true disciple, a sold out disciple, is available to anyone, if any man will come after me. So really this is open to the whole world, and really that's what Jesus is doing in the the gospel, he's doing it here uh, through his disciples, Uh, he's basically delivering a message to the world, anyone can come to me. Everyone is invited. Anyone can be a disciple. And no matter how you think about yourself, how you view yourself, maybe you say, well, you know, I don't don't have the the abilities of so-and-so, I don't have the the looks of so-and-so, I don't have the skills of so-and-so, I don't have the family of so-and-so. It doesn't matter. Discipleship is available to everyone, and really, following Christ is open to all. There isn't some that God has chosen, and others that God has, has, uh, has said, you know, you're, you, you don't count, you don't, you don't matter, you can't get saved, you can't follow me. No, it's for, for any man. The difference is, though, if any man will come. And that word will is very interesting sometimes we we use it, or we most often use it, to describe, uh, to just say, if any man is going to come after Jesus. But it means a little bit more than that. The word will means to desire, or to want strongly. If any man desires, or wants strongly, to come after me. See, the, the possibility of discipleship The possibility of being a disciple of Jesus, of being sold out for Jesus, it's available, it's open to everyone, but you've noticed that not everyone is a follower of Jesus. What's missing between those that are and those that aren't? Really, the answer to that question is simply desire. There's there maybe some of you sitting here today. The difference between you, maybe you sit here, is being lost, being unsaved. The difference between you and perhaps the person sitting next to you or behind you who is saved. It's not the difference is not God. The difference is not the fact that, you know, you know, God is more merciful to so and so than he has been to me. The difference is not um, they're better than, than I am, no, the difference is desire. That's what it comes down to. If any man will come after me, it is open to everyone, but what's needed is a will. What needed, what's needed is a desire. Now, we can be guilty here of saying, well, you know, I do want, I do want to, you know, serve Jesus with my life. I do want to give my all for Christ, and I would think if we were to do a poll, literally go from person to person and say, hey, do you want to live for Jesus with your life? I think a large majority, perhaps even all of you would say, oh yeah, I'd like to to live for Jesus. You might have, you know, at least a mental desire, but you see it needs to go yet another step. So we see there's a desire to follow. If any man will come after me. But number two, we see a delineation of following. What does it it mean? It's not enough just to have the desire. There's been a lot of young people, a lot of teenagers that I've seen through the years who, they, they have a desire, they have even, perhaps even a good heart when 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 we're talking about spiritual things, we're talking about the Bible, we can deal with some of those issues, and they listen, and they pay attention, and they've got a tender heart, but I want to, I want to serve God with my life, and, and then they don't do it. And it's not because they're rebellious, it's not because they're like, I don't want anything to do with this, I'm out of here, I'm not interested. No, they are. But the desire never took the next step to actually, okay, how do I... How do I live out the desire that's, that's in my heart, in my life? Jesus delineates what it means to follow him. And you're familiar with this verse, but let's think about some of these things that Jesus says. Verse 23: If any man will come after me, let him, what? If any man will come after me, let him, deny himself. This is step number one. If you want your life to count for Christ, if you want to be someone who, with the illustration of of sports, if you want to be someone who leaves it all on the court of life for Christ's sake, then you're going to have to do something. And the first thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to learn what it means to your life to deny yourself. Deny means to refuse, to recognize. By denying a particular truth or a particular fact, it means that I just refuse to recognize that 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 fact exists. Just pretend it's not there. It's a refusal to acknowledge. It's a refusal and a rejection of what's there. And and what are we denying? We're denying ourselves. It says, if any man will deny, or say, let him come, let him, I'll get it right, um, let him deny himself, what exactly are you denying? Who are you? Let me ask you that question. What does it mean then to deny yourself? What is yourself? What do you think, Tim? Okay, perhaps it's the, your old man. I think it definitely involves that, but there, I think there may be even a bit more. Perhaps it goes deeper than just your old man. You're made up of a bit more than just your fleshly desires. What are you made up of? him said he whispered flesh and blood well that's sort of true but when you die your body will still be made of flesh and it still will have blood but you're not there who are you what do you think Josh okay your soul what what kind of things what, what is your soul What is your soul, Ethan? All right, the Bible uses it interchangeably with your heart. Your heart is your thinker, feeler, chooser. Your heart is your thoughts, your emotions, your desires. And that really is the real you. It's who you truly are. So when Jesus says, I'm going to deny or I'm requiring for discipleship the the requirement of denying yourself. It means that you're you're denying your thoughts. You're denying your feelings, your emotions. You're denying your particular desires. And of course, as Tim mentioned, you are denying those fleshly desires for sin. You're denying yourself. I, I, I thought of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's a familiar passage, but Paul says when, when he's thinking, he, he actually mentions the fact about uh, wanting to, desert, to, uh, to earn the incorruptible crown. And he says, I therefore so run 1 Corinthians 9.26 not as uncertainly so fight I not as one that beateth the air. So he's saying, I'm, I'm not like somebody who is just running for the sake of running. Probably seen some little kids that looked like they were running just for the sake of running, just you know, no rhyme or reason. they just running around in circles, right? He said, "I'm not running that way. I'm not in a fight like somebody who's just like beating the air. Like that doesn't make any sense. I'm not in a fight with with nobody, right? That's not how I'm running." But, he says, this is how I'm running my race. This is how I'm trying to obtain that crown. I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. You know, your, your body has desires. Now, are, all, are, are um, all the desires of your body sinful? No, they're not. Do right? you have a desire for food? Is that sinful? No. God makes you with that desire, right? And if you don't fulfill that desire, there's physical consequences, all right? It is desiring um, human relationship, friendship? Is that a desire that's wrong? No. There's even a desire for intimate relationships with someone else, a member of the opposite sex. That's how God has made us. Is that, is that desire in and of itself wrong? No. Now, a the devil's come along and he said, all right, I'm going to take those desires and I'm going to corrupt them, a desire for food could easily become gluttony. Uh, a, a desire for intimate relationships ought, can easily become, before you know it, fornication, right, so he's corrupted all all those different desires, but but those are the desires that that your your body wants. And Paul says, I I keep my body under, meaning I, I keep it in the place where it belongs. Now, not all the desires that it has are sinful, but all the desires that it has are placed underneath my control. And denying yourself means that you learn how to say, you know what? I have some thoughts, I have some emotions, I have some desires, but they are going to be subjugated, they're going to be put in a lesser priority position, lesser than the ultimate goal of following after Christ and giving my all for Christ. So if we're going to leave it on the court for God, we're going to have to deny ourselves. We're going to have to deny some some bodily desires. We're going to have to deny, for example, the desire to to rest and to sleep in order to give place to seeking after God in our day. We're going to have to put to to death the desire for certain comforts, certain enjoyments, because they get in the way of following after Christ. Deny yourself. Then he says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Second thing is take up. First of all, deny. Second, take up. What What does that mean, to take up? Allie? Right? Part of it, there's two parts to it. One part is to pick it up. And then the second, which is kind of implied, is the idea that you actually carry it. This is not like a deadlift where, you know, you just get it up and, and you can drop it. No. You're, you're, you're picking it up, you're lifting it up, and you're carrying it off. Now you're doing this to the cross. Take up the cross and follow me. What is the cross? Identify the cross. What is that? Well, really, you can think about it this way. We know we know the story that Jesus took up his cross and carried his cross on his way to Calvary. Why did Jesus take up his cross? I mean, put yourself in his... They choose for a moment. You're lifting that cross. You're carrying that cross. You know where you're going. Why did he do that? There's really only, I guess there are some different answers, but there's really only one primary answer. Why did Jesus do that? Lizzie? Because he knew it needed to be done. Because it needed to be done? Okay. Why did it need to be done? Him? How was he compelled? By who? By God. By God. Okay. Do you remember the the conversation that Jesus had with the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, "Let this cup and this cup that he's talking about is taking up of his cross. Let this pass for me." As much as it be possible, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Really, the simple answer is, why did Jesus take up his cross? Because that was the Father's will for his life. That was what God the Father wanted. So, in order for us to take up our cross, we have to first ask the question, God, What do you want me to do? It's impossible to... It would have been impossible for Jesus to take up that cross and carry it if he did not know what the Father wanted from him or from his life. But, of course, we know that they were in perfect fellowship, and so Jesus knew what the Father wanted from his life. And so as soon as he knew what that was, and he was assured of what that was, a part of the the, the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane was assuring, this is what the Father wants. Alright, I know what God wants, so therefore I can take up the cross and fulfill God's will, the Father's will. We can't do that unless we first know what God wants us to do. Unless we first take the time to ask, God, what do you want from my life? Part of the thought process of of, 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 um, having this theme over this next week is for you to give some serious thought and consideration. To ask God, what do you want from my life, and am I willing to give you everything? If that's what you ask, if that's what you require, am I willing to do that? God, what do you want me to do? You know, on a practical level, uh, I mentioned this to some of you. But this is this has been really helpful to me. In in the uh, book of First John, it talks about the the, the the attractions of this world. All right, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. It's really the devil's management system. To do is the lust of the flesh. To to have is the lust of the eyes. To be is the pride of life. To do, to be, to have. That's what the world is screaming at you. This is what you need to do, this is what you need to be, this is what you need to have. Alright? And then inside all of us, there are desires influenced in in various directions to do, to be, to have. You have desires to do, you have desires to be, you have desires to have. And so the world has a will, we call it that one, and call it that. The world has a will in that area for you. If you listen to the world, they're going to tell you, this is what you need to be, this is what you need to have, this is what you need to do. And in order to defeat the world and the world's purposes in your life, all you have to do is come over here and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to be? What do you want me to have? You know, you can pray that in your daily time with God every single day. God, today, who do you want me to be? What do you want me to have? What do you want me to do? And the reason why that's so important is if you don't know what God wants you to do, then how are you going to take up your cross? It doesn't work. It falls apart. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. So in order to take up that cross, you have to identify what it is. Okay, it's knowing what God wants for my life, but how about this? It also involves carrying that cross. Not just sort of taking it up, but carrying it, actually taking a step. Putting into action, now, what does the Father want me to do? Jesus knew, before the soldiers came to Gethsemane, the Father wants me to go to the cross. But it wasn't until the cross went on his back and he started walking that road did he really take up that cross, in a literal sense. So we've got to actually put some action to it. We've got to actually put some obedience behind the answer to the question of, God, what do you want me to do? It's not just about knowing, okay, God wants me to do this, alright, so I'm going to go, go about my normal business. But it's actually, okay, God wants me to do this, so therefore, what is my next action, what is my next step so I can put that into practice in my life? And by the way, how often must this be done? How often should we be asking the Father, what's your will for me? How often should we be finding God's will and putting it into action? Well, what does the verse say? We're to take up our cross, what's the next word? Daily. Every single day. We're to be doing this. Finding out, and this is what a walk with God is all about. Finding out what God wants from me And then putting into place, putting into practice a plan of carrying that cross. of, Of doing God's will. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow. Number three is follow. Deny, take up, follow. Follow means to come behind someone, identifying with them, and behaving in accordance or agreement with them. They become the focus. They become the person that we are looking at. And we've mentioned many times where where our eyes are focused, that's where we're going to go. And when we're following Jesus, our eyes are focused upon Him, and we're identifying with Him, and we're acting in accordance with how He would act. We are are like the the little child who is walking behind uh, uh, their, their father, stepping in, They're identifying with the Father. They're trying to act in ways that would be like the Father. And you know what? In following Jesus, that's the same desire in our lives. I want to be like Jesus. I want to walk as He walked. I want to do as, as He has done. I want to operate in a way that He has operated. I want to be like Him. Follow Him. In order to leave it all in the court, we're going to need to desire to follow, and we're going to need to know what it means to follow, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Him. But then in verse 24, there is a description of the principle of following. Verse 24 is kind of like the reason why. It's kind of like, okay, I told you to do all these things in verse 23, What's the principle behind that? Why am I telling you to do that? That There's a truth that's here. And the truth is this. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. So the principle is this. It's two parts. Saving is losing. That's part one. Part two, losing is saving. Okay, so what does it mean to save? To save, the desire to save, means to to, to strongly desire to keep, or to preserve your life. What you want, what you feel, what you desire. I want to hang on to that, I want to keep that, I want to preserve that. This would be the opposite of denying yourself, right? Right? I want to save it. I want to hold on to it. I don't want to give up my thoughts. I don't want to give up my plans. I don't want to give up my dreams. I don't want to live contrary to my feelings. By the way, nobody really wants to do that. But how many times have you said, or have I said, you know I I stopped doing that because I just didn't feel, ah, there's a lack of denial of yourself there. I don't want to live contrary to my feelings. I don't want to say no to my desires. Well, what you're really doing is you are saving your life. You are keeping it. You're you're trying to preserve it for yourself. And what does Jesus say is going to happen? He says, if any man will save, if you have that desire to hold on to your life, you shall lose. This is a negative promise. This is what is going to happen. Jesus is saying, you do this, this will be the result. You desire strongly to keep and preserve your life, you will lose it. You will ruin it. You will destroy it. You understand this afternoon that if you get everything that you want out of life, you will mess things up. This is why I mentioned this before. Think about you know God's will, God's choice of someone who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. Why do I want God's will and God's perfect will in that situation? Well, because God knows so much more than I do. If I go out and choose the person that I want, I'm going to choose wrongly. And that's not to say that, you know, some people kind of think of that as, well, you know, the, 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 the more ugly they are, the more closer they are to God's will. That, that is not what that means at all. But I can remember sitting in your shoes, and there were some things, like, I want a particular kind of person. And you know what, I had no idea what was best for me. And I'm really glad that God intervened. And God gave me what I really needed, and it was only years down the road I was kind of waking up and going, I didn't even know I needed this, but yet, oh, how much do I need this? Because if I would have gotten my own way and my desires, I didn't want to ruin things, but I would have ruined them. It wasn't my design to be rebellious and to reject God, but I would have ruined my capability to serve Him. Had I just gone with my own thoughts, my own plans, my own desires. Saving is losing. But yet the positive promise, losing is saving. If you will, will lose is the phrase there, but whosoever will lose himself. Will lose is a willingness to let go. It's a willingness to give up willingness to deny yourself. And I mentioned this before, and I don't know why it, it just seems to be a, a good illustration, but I know most of you have the desire to, you know, to be married one day. You have some thoughts, and perhaps it all fits into, I want to be married so I can serve the Lord in that way. And, and, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that that desire and that dream. But is it truly submitted to God? What if God's will for your life is that you not be married? That's, the, that's where it becomes difficult, doesn't it? We've got to be willing to let go of those dreams, of those thoughts, of those desires. We have to be willing to deny ourselves. But the wonderful thing, and God's not coming to us in you know, he just wants to rip things away from us. That's not his design. His design is that he's, he's telling us, if you'll do this, the promise is you, you shall save it. You are going to free your life from harm or from evil. It's kind of like this. Make sure I have enough time. Okay? It's kind of like this. Josh, can you help me? Okay? This is Josh's life, right? Now, I want you, Josh, to hold, I want you to hold this. But I want you to hold it in a way, just think, like, what would be the best possible way for me to hold it so that I don't lose it? So if someone were to to come along, that's not a good thing, because I can just, you know, all right, you understand what I'm saying? He's, He's catching on now a little bit, so let's... Let's try this again. You're going to hold on to this in a way, what would be the best possible way to hold this so that no one will take it and no one can take it from you? Okay, so he's starting to get, he's starting to get the idea. So if I come, uh, hold on, okay. If I come and try to take it from him. okay, so he's, he's it, all right? And we're just going to use our imaginations. He's securing it because he's been told, he has the understanding that if he can just keep this to himself, not allow someone to take it from him, eventually he's going to be able to enjoy whatever's inside. Okay? So there's the promise of, of some sort of reward. There's something in there that you can have. Alright? And it's something that you really want. It's something that, that will... It's going to satisfy... Uh, it, it's going to give you a good life, it's, it's going to fully satisfy you, it's, it's going to be everything that you ever want. okay? So now Josh is, he's literally saving his life. He's saving his life, he's not going to let anyone take it from him. But you'll also notice that he's lost something. Because if, and I want you to maintain that position, Okay? You can move like cling, but don't move, alright? As long as he's maintaining his control, as long as he's maintaining a tight grip on his life so that he doesn't use it, because there's a reward down the line of what's inside there, he gets to have what's in there. If I come along and I say, and I know... Josh likes candy because every single day he comes by my office and wants candy. If I come by and he maintains that position and I say, Josh, out of the goodness and generosity of my heart, I want to give you something. No, don't do it, don't do it. I know what you're tempted to do. Now, does he have any ability? Still holding on to his life, does he have any ability at all? To come into possession of all the things that I want to give to him. And it's a lot. What's the alternative? The alternative is that he loses his life and not will do it. Because I know he want to. And he loses his life and guess what? Now he's Able to receive what I want to give him. Instead, according to our illustration, he's holding on to it. And you know what? He is going to get to the end of his life and the promise of, okay, you get to have whatever is in this and it's going to be the greatest thing ever beyond your wildest dreams and it is absolutely nothing. It's empty. Yeah, and you know what? That's probably a good illustration because people are like, okay, well there's probably there's probably something in the other compartments like you know, maybe it's maybe it's over here in a relationship, maybe it's over here in, in having a lot of things, maybe it's in this pocket of, of career, and we're just searching, and there's there's nothing there. It's there's nothing there. Why spend all of our time holding on to it? We see it. don't touch it. <laughs> I spent all that effort holding on to that which if you give it to Christ leave it all on the field for him what he is going to give you in return is beyond anything that you can imagine and I can say from experience that even in this life what he gives you is a tremendous blessing, that's even discounting how much Will take place in eternity, but as long as we are holding on to our thoughts and plans and dreams and ambitions, we don't have the capability of receiving what He has for us. As long as we save our life, we'll come to the end and there was nothing there. We lost it. Now, let me give you one more thing. We'll be done. Does Jesus just demand this from us because he's like, a, he's like a master and he was like, you know, kneel before me, bow before me, you will give me homage? Is that, is that the reason why? Does he just demand these things from us? Or does he ask us to do that which he himself did? Well, you know the answer. But I want to just point out number four, the demonstration of following. The demonstration is in verse 22. What does Jesus say to his disciples that? He's involved in. What is he doing? The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. Jesus had some desires. Again, those desires weren't wrong. One of his desires was, hey, I would rather not die. I hope most of you have that same desire. I'd rather not die. I'd rather not be tortured. I have that desire. I would rather not be tortured. I would rather not be the off-scouring of the earth. I mean, I like people to like me. I even like when you like me. What does that get for me? Not not a whole lot. What would we like to be liked? Jesus says, I'm going to suffer many things. Why? Because it was part of his cross, part of God's will, the Father's will for his life, part of what was required in order to show love and offer forgiveness to us. I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be rejected. And be rejected by, you listen, the elders, the chief priests, the scribes. Those were all of the popular, important, powerful, rich they were the, the cream of the crop. And I'd, li- I'd like to be received by all those kind of people, not rejected by them. He's going to suffer. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be slain. You talk about denying yourself. If you know, it's one thing to maybe risk your life, all right, to, to save someone. I, the, the tractor trailer is barreling down the street and you, you know, rush across and shove the person out of the way, you don't really have time to think about the fact that you could be giving up your own life. I mean, there's no, it's just a split-second decision made. But if you knew that you were going to die, that, that would take some serious denial of self to walk down the road where you know at the end of that road is death for me. There's, there's some... Serious denial of self, some taking up of the cross, and some following of God's will. But all that's necessary in order to experience the end, to be raised, resurrection, right? That's the end. That is the whosoever shall lose his life, the same will save it. His resurrection is the power that is going to be necessary to regenerate you and I who come to Him for salvation. It's the end goal. But that's not possible without the demands of discipleship, the demands of following after God. All that to say that I would like you to think about this question. And I think it applies whether or not you are struggling with salvation, or maybe you know that you're saved and, and you, you want to follow. It doesn't matter. I think this applies no matter where you are. But the question is very simple. Are you all in? Are you all in? And if you can take serious thought and take stock of your life and say, you know what? I am. I want to challenge you to go into Winter camp to think about making that a specific commitment to God. As in, in prayer, you say to God, God, here I am, you have it all, I'm all in. Everything. My thoughts, my feelings, my desires, my choices. I want to give it all to you. Do you know exactly what that's going to look like? You know exactly perhaps what it is God's going to ask of you? No, you don't necessarily know that. But the attitude is it doesn't matter. Whatever it is, I want to give it to Him. He has my everything. Can you say that? Are you all in? Think about that question. Ponder that question in your heart and consider whether or not God would have you to make that sort of commitment to him. That's what he was asking from his disciples. One day, we will know whether or not you were all in. Verse 26, we won't take the time to look at it, but it is the end, the judgment. We're going to know. At that point, it's going to be too late to do anything about it. At that point, all the the blessings will be on the ground. There won't be any way to say, "I, I changed my mind, can I take that decision back? No, it's too late. It is worth it. The principle is true. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Do you want to leave it all in the court for God? That's the question.
1: Lord I pray that you would challenge our
0: thoughts and our hearts today we thank you for this opportunity to look into your word we pray for your perfect will regarding these next few days our weekend beginning of next week as we spend time away Father we just pray that you have your will and way in our hearts I pray that there be some young people who would have the desire to come after you the desire to make the commitment to give their all to commit themselves completely and fully to you. And then live to see all the blessings that come when we surrender our lives. When we give up that which we want to hang on to. And we allow you to give us your perfect will. Allow us to live your perfect will for our lives. Thank you for this time. I pray that we would remember these things. That you prepare our hearts for the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray the no.